Every Christmas, we take a journey to the place where Christ was born. But all this attention can be misleading because for thousands of years, Bethlehem has been a small, sleepy village where nothing really important happens. But this is the town where the God of the universe became one of us. Oh, So when you feel like you can't do anything great for God, when you feel like you don't matter, remember Bethlehem. Remember that God uses the unimportant, the small, the insignificant to accomplish his work. From the little town of Bethlehem came our great salvation. Well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. So great to see everybody here. I wanna welcome you again to Seacoast Church. My name is Josh Surratt. I serve as a lead pastor here. If I haven't met you, uh, we are honored that you're here. I wanna welcome all of you that are in this facility as well as those of you that are joining us online or joining us at one of our campuses or joining us in the Student Center. Wherever you happen to be, we wish you a Merry Christmas and we're thankful that you've chosen to worship with us today. You know, speaking of our online audience, we've got people literally joining us from all around the world. Did you guys enjoy the, the opening uh, music, the song, and the video? Wasn't that great? You know, the, the song or the scripture, the Christmas story was translated into all of the languages that we translate our services into. And so uh, if you're one of our international uh, friends or if you are hearing impaired and you're joining us today, we're so glad to have you with us today as well. It's gonna be a great time together. I'm, I'm curious to know, did anybody travel uh, to be here uh, for Christmas? Okay, a lot of people traveled. Where'd, where'd you guys come from? Columbia. Columbia, okay. South Carolina? Irmo campus, come on, shout out to the Irmo campus. Uh, where else, where'd you guys come from? Virginia, okay, awesome. People traveled, last service we had somebody from Hawaii, I'm like come on, why don't we all just go there? That'd be just great. But uh, we're, we're glad that you guys uh, made Seacoast a part of your travel plans. And uh, I don't know if you've ever wondered why people travel. My wife and I, we love to people watch. And so every now and then if we're on a trip, we'll sit in an airport and we'll just kind of pick a narrative on where people are going. I wonder why they're traveling. People travel for a lot of different reasons, don't they? Some people travel for work. And if you travel for work, you're the ones who, you've got it down. It's, it's, you're efficient. You know where you're going. You know your system. You know your process. Some of us travel for uh, different reasons. Sometimes it's family. I imagine a lot of you that traveled to be here today came to see and to be with family. Sometimes it's vacation. Sometimes it's grief. I've gone on a number of trips for uh, a funeral or to say goodbye to a loved one who's gone on. Sometimes we just travel to get away from here, like any, anywhere but here. We wanna get out of, out of our current environment. But you know what the best trips are? When we travel because of hope when we travel because of hope. Our culture calls these bucket list trips. You know what I'm talking about? 
bucket list trips. This is a place that you've always wanted to go or an experience that you've always wanted to have and you go, man, I hope that at some point in my lifetime, I get a chance to do that. Any of you guys have bucket list items, things you wanna do? Man, I hope, I hope you do. These are the best kinds of trips. So fulfillment of hope, because hope is such a powerful motivator, isn't it? Hope is a powerful motivator. Hal Lindsey said this, he said, man can live about 40 days without food. Not this man, by the way, I don't know who he was talking about, but <laughs> not me. About three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. When you lose hope, it's hard to keep moving. It's hard to get very far without hope. But man, when you have hope, you'll do some crazy things, you'll sacrifice, you'll go after whatever it is. The best trips are these bucket lists, these hope trips. And you may have heard me share before, but I had one of these bucket list hope fulfillment trips happen to me just a few years ago. See, I grew up as a lifelong, diehard, hopeless Cubs fan. Do I have any other Cubs fans in here? Okay, thank you, God bless you. May you get everything that you want for Christmas this year. Just good people. Grew up outside of Chicago and grew up watching WGN and just loved the Cubs. And so my brother and I, when we were uh, kids, we, we made an agreement with each other. We're like, listen, if the Cubs ever make it to the World Series in our lifetime, which was very questionable at the time, they had gone 108 years without winning a World Series. Everybody has a bad century every now and then. So, <laughs> But we said, if they ever make it, it doesn't matter what it costs, doesn't matter where we are, what season of life we're in, we're gonna, we're gonna get there. We're gonna make it happen. Well, they did make the World Series in 2016. Problem is, though, that there were millions of other little boys and girls who made that same pact with each other. And so the tickets were just crazy expensive. It was like $3,000 for a standing room only ticket to go. And so, I mean, more expensive than, than most Super Bowl tickets were the average prices of the tickets at Wrigley Field. And so I was like, Jason, it's just not gonna happen uh, this year. I, I mean, and he kept saying, Man, I, th I think we should just try to go. Let's try to make it work. He'd send me a text or an email. Let's just make it. I'm like, Jason, we don't have the money. I know I don't have the money. I know you don't have the money. We can't do it. It's not gonna happen. And he's like, well, who knows what would happen? Let's just get there. Maybe somebody will drop a ticket on the ground and we can steal it, you know, whatever it takes. He's like, What's, we just need to do our part and let God do his part. Just see what happens. Well, so it was, it was not gonna happen. I had lost hope on it and the Cubs won. Uh, they lost the first game up in Cleveland. They won the second game and we were sitting on the couch, my wife and I, we're watching the second game of the World Series, about the seventh or eighth inning, maybe 10 o'clock that night. And she looks at me and she says, Josh, are you gonna regret it for the rest of your life if you don't at least try to make this happen? That, my friends, is why I love, well, one of the many reasons why I love my wife. <laughs> as soon as she asked me that question, I knew I had to go. And so I got on my phone and I had some sky miles. I went ahead and booked flights right then and there for the next morning at 7 a.m. Then I called Jason. I knew he was available. He'd been badgering me all week. So I called him and said, hey, I got tickets, flight tickets for 7 a.m. tomorrow. I'll pick you up at 5.30, work on a place for us to stay. And he found a friend of a friend who let us sleep on his couch in Wrigleyville, and we went off to make this bucket list thing happen, all on just maybe the possibility, little bit of hope that we might be able to see the Cubs play. So we get to Chicago, and the morning of the game, 6 a.m., we wake up, we're fired up, and we, we decide, let's go for a run. Let's burn off some of this energy. Jason says, well, let's go run at Lake Michigan. And I was like, no, let's go down by Wrigley Field. We're gonna run around that stadium seven times. We're gonna see what happens. 
And so we did, we ran around Wrigley Field and as we're running around the stadium, there's a line that we noticed that had been formed that, that kind of led over to the box office, the ticket office. And so we stopped and asked some people in the line, hey, what are, you do, what are you doing? What are you waiting for in line? And nobody would talk to us. They just totally ignored us. So we go to the end of the line and there's a man standing there. I said, hey, what, what is the line for? And he looks at me and he says, nothing. And I said, that sounds amazing. I'm gonna get in line with you. Let's just, <laughs> let's do nothing. Nothing else to do today anyway. So we get in this line. We don't know. We don't know what's going on. We don't know where it's going. But as we're standing in line, we realize that apparently there was a slight possibility that if tickets didn't sell on StubHub at a certain point during the day, that they would release them back to, to the Wrigley Field and they would sell them at the box. And whoever was in line would be able to buy up to two tickets per person as long as they had tickets. And come to find out that in prior games, there had been maybe 50 to 500 at the most tickets that had come available. And so I counted the line. And we were number 223 and 224 in line, which means we needed 440 is that right, 446 to 450 tickets to come available. In the words of the great theologian, Jim Carrey, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> and so we stood in that line and we waited and we waited and we waited. Hours, 12 hours to be exact, that we stood in a line that didn't move an inch just because there was a glimmer of hope. Maybe we could get into this game. You know, as we waited throughout the day, definitely there were people around us that gave up hope uh, for this dream. Uh, there are a lot of reasons that people give up hope. As we kind of turn the corner into Christmas, I wonder if there aren't some of us that are here today that maybe we've given up hope in some way or another, some area of our life that we've, we've stopped dreaming or we've stopped hoping. Couple of thoughts for you if you're taking notes on your outline sheet, why do people lose hope? It's easy to lose hope. Why do people lose hope? Sometimes they lose hope because of circumstances. Circumstances cause us to lose hope. You know, in our situation, it was freezing cold, 40 degrees. I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt. We ran just long enough to sweat and then stop and stand in line. It's the windy city. It was miserable conditions. We were just miserable and your back is tight and you're sore and, and it, was just, it was bad circumstances. We even had a knife fight break out, like 10 people in front of us. I'm not joking, somebody tried to cut in line. In Chicago, you cut in line, you get cut. That's how it works. <laughs> and so like, it's dangerous and you know, it's like people started leaving. They're like, I'm not gonna do this, this is too much. Sometimes we deal with circumstances in our own life that cause us to stop hoping, to stop dreaming. Maybe you're, you're growing weary of, of praying the same prayer over and over again or, or you've had the kind of year that you never thought you would have and, Maybe the bottom fell out financially, whatever it might be, but circumstances can cause us. We just get so focused on the, the present that we stop hoping for, dreaming for the fulfillment of, of our dreams. Sometimes it's voices that cause us to lose hope. Voices can cause us to lose hope. I know at that, that, that day as the sun came up, I mean, there were tens of thousands of people in Wrigleyville. It was a party all day long, and people would walk by and they'd see us in this line and they would ask the same question that I asked hey, what are you doing in line? And I would be honest and I would say, hey, you know, we, uh, there's a small chance some tickets are gonna come available and we might be able to get into the game. And I'm telling you, people were so rude to us. You're an idiot. You really think you're gonna get in the game? What a loser. Dude, these, these tickets have been sold out for weeks. There's no way you're getting into this game. I, I heard over and over and over again, the security guard, who was probably irritated because we weren't supposed to be a part of his day that day, but we had become a part of his day. 
He told us probably a dozen times, he would look us in the eye and he would say, you are not going to get into this game. You might as well stop waiting. You're wasting your time. And you hear that over and over and over again and then you start to, to wonder if it's true. Many people left the line because of voices. I don't know if you can relate to that in life of maybe somebody spoke something about you, said something to you at some point along your journey and you've never been able to shake it. You're never gonna be successful. You're defined by the biggest mistake that you've made. Sometimes it's our own voices that kind of communicate these thoughts. They can cause us to lose hope. Sometimes it's fatigue. You just get tired, right? I mean, sometimes life can be exhausting. Maybe you're in a season, you're a young parent, have multiple kids in the home or whatever, and you just know life can be exhausting. You know, there are many people that just got too tired of standing in that line. There were no chairs, 12 hours, they lost hope. I understand that, you get weary. For me, probably the biggest one that I struggled with was doubt, and still struggle with sometimes. Just kind of the question, is there really anything to, to hope in? And that line that day, I remember we got to like 10, 11 hours that we're standing in that line. Now the PA system's going inside, and you can hear them announcing kind of all of the special guests, and then they do the first pitch, and you hear all the Star Spangled Banner, all this stuff. And I'm on the outside, and I'm hearing this stuff on the inside. And that's when the doubts really hit, because guess what? You weren't gonna be able to get in any restaurant within about 10 blocks of Wrigley, Wrigleyville. Uh, the, the, thankful for the man that let us stay in his apartment, he didn't own a TV. Who doesn't own a TV? So we couldn't even go back there and watch. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we have stood in line for 11 hours, games getting ready to start, and we haven't moved an inch. What a waste of time. We begin to doubt and wonder, is this really going to happen? Well, about 20 minutes before the game started, all of a sudden, the line starts to move just a little bit. They begin to release a few tickets, and the line starts moving, and so slowly but surely, we're kind of moving towards the front of the line. Now the game has started, it's the first inning, we're listening to the game happening on the other side, and, and I get there, and I'm, I'm standing almost to the front, and the guy, the ticket guy who's uh, counting, he would give us a wristband that we could go buy a ticket, he said, we have five more, and he counts one, two, three, four, five. I'm getting into the game. My brother was six, I didn't care. <laughs> Tough love. Stinks for you, I'm going to the game. I mean, you'd have thought that I just won the lottery. We were so excited, we run, and eventually they let him in as well. There were a few more tickets that opened up, and we, we run to this deal, and I, I, I feel sorry for this box office person. They probably saw hundreds of me that day, but it was just like, I wanna give you a hug, I love you. You know, what's your address? I'm gonna send you something. But she, we, we buy tickets, face value, mind you, and uh, I've, got, I've got my ticket here. Row seven, I think we got a picture. Row seven, right behind home plate. That's where we watched the World Series. Is that not amazing? Y'all, I'm a child of the 90s. Eddie Vedder was sitting like three people down for me. Pearl Jam, uh, you had Ra Rahm Emanuel, you had the Chicago Bulls team. It was like A-list celebrities and my brother and I, just taking in the game, <laughs> we, acting like we belong there. And uh, it was amazing and hope was fulfilled. And one of the best parts about it is that they let us buy two tickets each. There were two of us, we had four tickets. We had a little business deal that went down in the, the street there by the field, and let's just say Dave Ramsey would have been real proud of us <laughs> on how that all shook out. Ended up not paying a dime for the entire trip. It was an amazing, amazing experience. Oh, and in case you're wondering, uh, did the Cubs win the World Series? I brought just a clip that we could watch together and just uh, see what happened, how it all turned out. 
Here's the 0-1. This is going to be a tough play. Bryant, the Cubs! Would the worship team come? We're just gonna respond right now. <laughs> Celebrate, sing. The Cubs won the World Series, first time in 108 years, and we got to experience it because we went after it on just a little bit of a glimmer of hope. I hope by now that you are asking the question, what does this have anything to do with Christmas? <laughs> Nothing, but I have the microphone, and I like the story, and I'm having a good time, so. No, it actually does. And here's the tie-in to the Christmas story. If you look at the Christmas story, you'll find a group of characters in the story that went on a bucket list trip, that were so compelled by hope, by the possibility of, of hope being fulfilled, that they dropped everything and they traveled thousands of miles on just the possibility that they might experience their hope fulfilled. And I wanna kind of follow them on their journey for just a few moments that we have left and see if we can't learn how to experience hope, how we can find hope this Christmas from this story. It's a story of the wise men, and I know you've seen it in children's programs and uh, you know, kids dress up, but, but it's a significant story in Matthew chapter two. I wanna read it to you. Matthew two, verses one through 12. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. You know, when you're the king and someone announces that there's a new king in the land, that can be a little troubling. And that's how he felt at that point. So he calls a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law and asks them, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Well, Herod then calls for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first arrived or first appeared. Then he told them, go, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for this child, and when you find him, come back and tell me, so that I can go worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Who were these guys? And why would they have gone on a trip like this? What we know about them, we don't have a ton of information, what we know about them is one, they were very educated, that's why we call them the wise men. They were into astronomy, they understood the solar system, they were very wealthy based on the gifts that they brought to Jesus. They were prominent. They were successful in the land that they came from. They would have been very similar to Daniel in the Old Testament. They were advisors to the king. By all intents and purposes, we would look at these men and we would say, they have arrived. They have made it. Yet they knew that something was missing in their soul. They knew that they hadn't yet arrived. They knew that they had a longing for hope that they hadn't yet 
experience. And so they dropped everything and they went on this bucket list trip. Here's what we know about them. They traveled for anywhere from six months to two years is how long it took them to get from where they were from to, to Bethlehem. Can you imagine that? That's a long ways. Some of you traveled to be here tonight. Imagine doing that without a car or an airplane, on a camel, on foot, all of the weather conditions that they would have gone through, but it was all because they wanted to find hope. What can we learn from their story? Three quick thoughts. Number one, if we're gonna find hope this Christmas, don't let comfort keep you from the journey. We can't let comfort keep us from the journey. These men were successful. These men had arrived. These men had, had a lot of wealth and a lot of education and they'd, they'd kind of climbed the corporate ladder, if you will, yet they didn't allow their success to keep them from pursuing more. They, they paid attention to this, this thing in their soul that said, there's gotta be more to the life than this. And we all have that same thing in our soul, that same hole that says, man, isn't there more than what I'm currently experiencing? Don't let comfort keep you from the journey. I wonder where some of us might be allowing comfort to keep us from the journey. If we were to talk to the wise men, the magi, as they're called, the magi would say, you know where the magic happens? It's when you get out of your comfort zone. What would it look like for you to get out of your comfort zone? Some of you are looking at me, you're like, dude, if you knew my story, the very fact that I'm in church right now is way out of my comfort zone. This is not my scene. And to you, I would say thank you for stepping out of your comfort zone. I believe God is gonna honor that today. I believe God is gonna meet you in your comfort zone or out of your comfort zone. But those of us that are followers of Christ, it's easy to kind of get stuck in these, these religious ruts, if you will, just kind of going through the motions, doing our thing. Man, I wonder how much of life God has for us if we just be willing to stretch a little bit to get out of our comfort zones. This year has been really defined by that for our church. In a lot of ways, moving into this building and taking financial risk to, to do this was out of our comfort zone. But about a year ago, my sister was diagnosed with, with cancer. And we just wanted to do whatever we could to try to help her. And so I remember we gathered together, we decided, you know what, we're gonna do a healing service. I don't know if you've been to Seacoast very long, but we haven't done a lot of healing service up to that point in the history of our church. But we thought, you know what, whatever it takes. And so I stood on the platform and I said, if you need to be healed, God is gonna do miracles. We want to invite you to church on a Wednesday night. Talk about out of my comfort zone. <laughs> that was a check that I could not cash. I felt very vulnerable in that place as a leader. What, what are we gonna do? And all of these people show up. Thousands of people show up. We've done several of them, but y'all, we have seen hundreds and hundreds of stories of God eliminating cancer in people's lives, of people who had been struggling with fertility issues for years and years and years that now we've actually met these babies that have been born. God has done incredible miracles, but none of that happens if we don't step out of our comfort zone. If we're not willing to get vulnerable and uncomfortable and take a risk and step out, what would that look like for you today? If we're gonna find hope this Christmas, we've gotta be willing to step out of our comfort zone. Second thing that we've got to be willing to do is, or not do, is never settle for a counterfeit king. Never settle for a counterfeit king. Think about it for a minute. These wise men, they've traveled all of this way. They finally come to a city, Jerusalem. You know, if I was gonna guess where a king would be born, king of the Jews, it would be Jerusalem. It's a spiritual epicenter of, of the world at that point. And they get to Jerusalem and they come upon this massive palace. 
You know, Herod, if he did anything well, it was build. He knew how to build impressive buildings. We've been to Israel, we've seen these buildings, they're incredible. And he gets to this palace and, and he meets a guy who's got the title, he's got the power, he is the king of the Jews. But these wise men knew that this was not the king they were searching for. This was not a king that could satisfy them in the way that their soul was longing for. And so they kept going. They turned their eyes to Bethlehem and they went until they found Jesus. Never settle for a counterfeit king. It's so easy for us to do. I don't know what that might look like for you. I know a lot of us when we're younger, we're, we're trying to build a life that's successful, maybe in a relationship, you think if I just find that woman, if I just find that man, if I can find my soulmate, then, I, then, then they'll satisfy me. And I love marriage, I love my marriage, it's a great marriage, but, but it, it can't satisfy your soul in the place where you're longing. Families can't do that, success can't do that. So many of us spend the first half of our lives trying to find some measure of success, only to realize like the wise men did, that something's missing, that, that, that they're counterfeit kings, they're counterfeit gods in our lives. Think about Christmas time, I love Christmas, I love the lights, I love the food, I love the presents, I love it all, it is an amazing thing, I love what we do for Christmas. But I think it's very possible, in fact likely, that many people will go through the entire Christmas season and never experience the real Jesus never experience the real king. You know, family is wonderful. It's a wonderful gift, but it's an insufficient God. Wealth, money, it's great. You can't serve that in God. It's an insufficient king. Let's not settle for counterfeit kings. Where have you maybe been settling for a counterfeit king? Maybe today would be a day that we say, you know, I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep pursuing until I find Jesus. The third thought for us, how do we find hope this Christmas season is just this. All of our journeys ultimately end with a decision. All of our journeys end with a decision. You're not gonna find hope until you're willing to step across the line and make a decision. Let's think about the wise men for a moment. They traveled all this way. They, they, they got to Jerusalem, they kept going. Now they end up in Bethlehem. I've been to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, there's not a lot to Bethlehem. It's a sleepy little town. It's not where you would expect that the king of the Jews would be born. But they get there, and I wonder if they were surprised. I wonder if they were surprised that, they knew they were looking for a child, but I wonder if they were surprised at the poverty, at the conditions in which they found him. Born in a manger, animals around, a cold cave. Like, I wonder if, I wonder if they went, really? Is this, is this what we were looking for? But here's what happened. When they entered into that place, it says they, they, they entered the house, saw the child, and, and he was with his mother Mary, and they, they did what? They bowed down, and they worshiped him, and they gave these gifts. What happened is when they entered into this place, they realized that they were in the presence of God. And when you're in the presence of God, it demands a decision. It demands a response. And so they did what is really the only adequate response when you're in the presence of the King of Kings as they bowed down and they went all in and they surrendered their life to him. You know, we find ourselves in that same place today. We've been on this journey 
to Christmas, and here we are, it's Christmas Eve, and we are in the presence of God. We are in the presence of King Jesus. But if we're gonna grab a hold of that hope, it's gonna, co- it's gonna cost us a decision. We're gonna have to decide, am I gonna embrace? Am I gonna put my hope in Jesus, or am I gonna miss this moment? Maybe you're like me, I kinda struggle with the idea of like worshiping baby Jesus. I love baby Jesus because it's a, it's a, obviously it represents God you know, coming and he came in a humble way and he came to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us, it's awesome. But, but I, I turned 40 this year. I know I don't look it, thank you uh, for noticing. I turned 40, we celebrated with some family and friends. You know what we didn't focus a lot of? our time and attention on? Baby Josh. We, we didn't, we didn't talk a lot about baby Josh. Uh, Mom and dad have some pictures, that's cute, but, but we really didn't because I'm a 40 year old man. We talked a lot about where I'm at today and my dreams and where we're going and what life has done and we were just super grateful for that. I wanna encourage you that baby Jesus, even though prophetically those wise men knew that they were in the presence of God, but he would grow up and he would fulfill what he came to do. And he would ultimately live a sinless life, and he would take all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of those voices that say we're not enough, and he would go to a cross, and he would die for you, and he would die for me. And he would conquer death, he would raise from the dead three days later, historical fact, by the way, and he would end it. He, he, he did what we could never do. He paid the price for our sin and he defeated death and he defeated the enemy of your soul. And so maybe you're here today and you're struggling with hope. Maybe for you it's circumstances. And I know because I'm friends with many of you and we've had quite the year ourselves as a family that there are a lot of us that are here today and we would say this is not what I expected this year to look like. You know, this is the first Christmas since we lost a loved one or since that relationship didn't work out or since I lost my job and I'm in a totally different place today and my current circumstances have maybe challenged me or caused me to lose hope a little bit. And I would just tell you that that Jesus grew up and he overcame and he would say to us through his word that he will work all things together, all of them, good and bad, for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. He'll do that. Maybe there are voices that you've entertained that have accused you, that have told you that you know, you're gonna be defined by your greatest sin, and I just wanna tell you that's not the voice of Jesus, because he grew up and he would speak life and truth into you, and he would say if you'll put your hope in him, if you'll surrender your life to him, man, you are more than victorious. You're, you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, that with him all things are possible, that in fact he would put his Holy Spirit in you and that you would do greater things than even he did. That's the kinds of things that Jesus says about you and your future. Maybe you're tired, maybe you're fatigued. Lord knows this season can be exhausting. Jesus would say, hey, if you're tired, if you're weary, come to me, come to me. I'm gonna give you rest, not just temporary rest, but rest for your soul. You can stop striving and stop searching. And, and ultimately find that satisfaction that you've been looking for. Maybe you're here today and you're dealing with doubts, and I love the way that Jesus handled doubt. When he was confronting Thomas, who we call him Doubting Thomas, he said, come, 
Just come to me, I'm not afraid of your doubts. Come, I wanna show you. I wanna show you the, the scars. I am he. I've risen from the dead for your sins. And he said, blessed are you for believing and you've seen it, but even more blessed will be those who believe that haven't seen. He's not afraid of your doubts. We can just come as we are. You don't have to pretend when you're in the presence of this king. And when we do, when we put our hope in him, I love this last verse on your outline sheet. It says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And that is my prayer for you, and that is my prayer for me. So I'm thinking back to the time on the couch that we're watching this game, and Lisa asked me this one question that became the catalyst for this adventure. The question was, are you gonna regret it for the rest of your life if you don't go here, if you don't go all in and make it happen? Can't help but wonder if God wants to use that same question today in all of our lives. We're in the presence of King Jesus. Would you regret it the rest of your life if you don't just go, you know what, I'm gonna go all in. I don't know what that means exactly, I don't know all that that entails, but I know that I'm tired of trying to do this on my own and I'm gonna go all in with Jesus. I'm gonna give him my life, I'm gonna put my hope in him. Would be the greatest gift you could give your family this Christmas, be the greatest gift that you could ever receive this Christmas. Let's not go into 2020 with blurry vision about who we are and about whose we are and about what God wants to do with our life. Would you guys bow with me as we close in prayer? God, we just thank you for this moment. It feels like we are experiencing what the wise men experienced, that we're standing on holy ground, that we are in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of the Lords. Lord, that you are in our midst right now. And as we continue in a posture of prayer, I wanna pray for anybody who is here today that would say, man, today I wanna put my hope in Jesus. Maybe for the very first time in your life that you go, I'm gonna go all in. I'm gonna get on this journey. I'm gonna get out of my comfort zone. Maybe there are some that are here and you've done that before, but man, today you feel very distant from God. And I wanna pray for you if that's you. And so what I wanna do here and at the campuses, campus pastors will come and kind of lead through this moment as well. But I'm gonna ask you to come out of your comfort zone a little bit. I'm not gonna ask you to come up front or anything like that, but as I pray, if you would say, Josh, I want you to include me in that prayer. I wanna put my hope in Jesus. Would you just raise your hand? Because I wanna pray for you. I'm gonna start to my right, to your left. Just raise your hand up in the air. If you'd say, Josh, would you include me in that? Okay, awesome, awesome. Yes, ma'am, I definitely will. Awesome, yes, sir, great, great. In the balcony, up in the upper sections, if you would say, just include me in that prayer, just raise your hand, that's great. Looking in the middle section here, if you say, just include me in that, okay, fantastic, I'd love to. Be honored to. Looking up in the top in the middle, if you guys would just say, include me in that, okay. Awesome, and now to my left and your right, if you would just say, Josh, include me in that prayer, just raise your hand, I'd be honored to do that, okay. Fantastic, fantastic. The Bible says that if you confess with your heart, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you could be saved, that's as simple as what we're doing. So as I pray this prayer, just pray it in your own way. Jesus, today, I acknowledge that you are king of kings. I acknowledge that you are the fulfillment of hope and that you came and you died for me. 
You overcame death. So today I put my hope in you. I put my trust in you, Jesus. Would you meet me in this space? Lord, would you meet me in my doubt? Would you meet me in my circumstances? Would you meet me all of the baggage that I carry? And I just wanna give it to you and give my life to you. Surrender it to you in Jesus' name, amen.